0: You can turn with me then to our sermon text for today, which is Genesis chapter 23. Genesis chapter 23, the whole chapter. We're coming to the final chapters in the life of Abraham and the uh, last chapter in the life of Sarah. Chapter 23 starting in verse 1. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriatharba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, us, my lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron and Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, The field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is In it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord God, we thank you for giving us your oracles, your word. We pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word the reading which we have heard, the preaching which is to come, that you would direct it to our hearts in truth and understanding uh, for our uh, benefit, for our edification, for our growth and grace, for the encouragement of our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sarah uh, lived 127 years. That is how this passage begins. Although a lot of the chapter is not going to talk about Sarah so much as about the purchase of the land for her tomb. In some ways, it's a curious chapter. Uh, God is only mentioned once, referring to Abraham as a prince of God. It spends all this time talking about the back and forth between Abraham and the Hittites about the purchase of land. And of course, land is a major theme uh, in the promises of God to Abraham But it begins by talking about Sarah. She lived 127 years. That is, she died 37 years after Isaac's birth. She was 90 when Isaac was born, so so he is 37 years old at this time. It's probably been about 20 years after the binding of Isaac that we read about last chapter. In the meantime, it seems that they had moved either... Somewhat temporarily, we don't know how, uh, how permanently, but they had moved back to Kiriath Arba, uh, that is Hebron, and that is where she died. Uh, Hebron or Hebron is between Beersheba and Jerusalem. So think of Beersheba, where Abimelech had made the covenant with Abraham. That's further south, and now they're kind of further north. If you went even further north, you would get up to Jerusalem, uh, where Mount Moriah was as well. But uh, Hebron is close to the, at the Oaks of Mamre. We had come across the Oaks of Mamre before. Apparently these were probably just outside the city uh, a little ways. And at the Oaks of Mamre, Abraham had built an altar uh, back in chapter 13. And it was there that he and Sarah had been visited by the angels. Uh, there that Sarah had received this promise that she would bear a son. Now, In the book of Joshua, three times it explains the earlier name for Hebron, that it was called Kiriath Arba, or the city of Arba. Arba was a giant, uh, the greatest man among the Anakim, the father of Anak. Uh, Later, Caleb and the priests would live there, become a city of refuge. would be David's first capital. But at this time, it was in the land of the Hittites. Uh, it was not yet belonging to Abraham and his offspring, although it had been promised. Now, the burial site that was purchased for Sarah's tomb uh, included the cave of Machpelah. That's also later where Abraham would be buried, and Isaac, and Rebekah, and Jacob, and Leah. Jacob had to be brought all the way back from Egypt to be buried there. We'll find that at the end of the book of Genesis. It was remembered. It's likely still preserved today. Now it's covered by a mosque with limited entrance, uh, limited access, but evidence has been found there of pilgrimage since before the exile. Back in the 8th century BC, pottery from surrounding regions found at the site, as well as Hasmonean, Herodian, and Byzantine structures on the site. This tomb would be important for the people of God, especially in those early days when it was a uh, a sign that the patriarchs of old uh, trusted in the Lord to give this promised land uh, to their offspring. And it's that purchase of this place for a tomb that takes up most of the chapter. Uh, death would not be the end of hope, but rather an occasion for faith and hope to be expressed. So with this account of Sarah's death and burial before us, uh, consider with me, first of all, the example of Sarah, and the two, the, the grieving for the dead, Three, the hope in the care expressed for the body. And fourth, the hope in the promised inheritance expressed by the purchase of land for the tomb. But first, let's just look at the first verse. Sarah lived 127 years. In those 127 years, she had gone through many trials. She had grown. She had endured. I mean, half of her life isn't even described In the Bible, because she shows up, as already uh, 60-something years old, so about halfway through her life. She was a very beautiful woman, but she had been unable to have children. She was named Princess. That's what her name meant. But she had left not only Abraham's land, but the land of her kindred as well, her homeland, and become a vulnerable sojourner. But God had raised her up. He had made her a joyful mother in old age. He had made her a princess indeed, even as Abraham was a prince of God. She was a princess. She was the queen of Abraham's vast and wealthy household. Not only that, but her son was no ordinary son. He was Isaac, the child of promise. And God had promised concerning Sarah, I will bless her. And she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. So Sarah became the mother of God's people, like a second Eve. Her descendant would crush the head of the serpent. From Sarah would come the Christ, and in him, the church. So as Abraham is our father, father of all those. have faith in Jesus Christ, so Sarah is our mother, the mother of nations, including us. Gentile Christians have been grafted on to this heritage along with believing Jews. It makes sense then why Paul would use Sarah as an image of the heavenly Jerusalem, the free woman whose children we are, the church of Jesus Christ. Now, even as Abraham is the father of us all and an example to us all as he was a believer, as a believer, but he's an example to the men in particular as a man, as a husband, as a father, you know, who led his household to keep the way of the Lord. So, Sarah is the mother of us all and an example to us all as a believer, but an example to the women in particular as a woman, as a wife, as a mother. So, makes sense on Mother's Day, I happened to come across this text, that we should honor our mother, Mother Sarah. Consider the example of your mother Sarah. She followed Abraham. When Abraham was called to leave his land, and he told Sarah to come along with him, she went. She, he took a step of faith out into the unknown, and she went with him. And being taught by him, she too believed in God and followed the Lord by faith. Her faith in the promises grew. At times, she faltered. She learned lessons along the way. She had offered Hagar to Abraham, uh, misguided, not according to God's will, perhaps with good intention, but uh, something that she learned was wrong, that she saw the bad consequences, learned that this was not the way God would provide the chosen offspring. She also laughed at the angel at first when He said that she would bear a child, but he reproved her and she learned to believe the word that he had said because Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, verse 11, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. She believed God that he was faithful, he would fulfill his promise and so She took hold of this promise by faith and became this mother. Her trial of barrenness turned out to magnify the grace and power of God, that God had given a son not by the ordinary way of nature, but by his grace, as he provided Isaac. She saw that God had been faithful to her, had protected her when uh, she was threatened by hostile kings, and had exalted her. And so she showed her faith in God's promise even later on. She had been the one to first offer Hagar as an alternative, but then she learned that the child of promise was Isaac, and so she safeguarded his inheritance by urging her husband to send away Hagar and her son away, believing the promise that God had given. And she was a believer, uh, a mother of faith, She was also a faithful wife and mother. She showed loyalty, chesed, kindness is the way it's translated, to Abraham uh, through difficulty and danger. It's that type of covenant loyalty that God shows to his people, but it's also one that a, a spouse shows to one another. She showed it to her husband. She obeyed her husband in the dramatic things, in the mundane things. Uh, Whether he told her to leave her homeland with him, to make bread for strangers, or to conceal their marriage when its knowledge could mean death and disaster at the hands of violent men. More controversial, perhaps, decision, but we've talked about that already. She made it her habit to call her husband, my Lord, showing reverence, even when What she was saying wasn't particularly meant to reverence her. She was saying to herself, shall we conceive when my Lord is old? But that's just the way she spoke and thought about him. That was her habit. And when Abraham's emotions began to interfere with his duty regarding Ishmael, it was Sarah's words that helped him get back on track. Uh, She was submissive. She was obedient. But doesn't mean she never opened her mouth. Uh, She gave good counsel in this respect and was a help to her husband. Then she delighted in motherhood. She rejoiced in God's blessing, laughing as she nursed little Isaac. Not only was she beautiful on the outside, but also in the hidden person of the heart. As the Apostle Peter said For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Were there things that could be frightening in Sarah's life? Can you think of the courage that it took to wander as a sojourner in a foreign land? But she was courageous and steadfast through faith in the Lord Jesus, faith in the promise of God, And also manifested that by good works. And so she was a faithful wife and mother. An example to those who are her children. Whose you are if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So Sarah lived 127 years commentaries say this is the only woman that it says how long she lived, that it gives a lot more special attention to Sarah here uh, among the genealogies that we find at least in Genesis uh, because of her position, you know, as the mother here of God's people. Verse 2 describes the mourning for Sarah. In verse 2 it says that Sarah died at Kiriatharba in the land of Canaan and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Note the grief of Abraham. Abraham went in to mourn and to weep for her. Picture him coming into the tent. He went in, he went into the tent and he fell down because he was going to rise up. He fell down onto the ground and was mourning and weeping before his dead, before Sarah laid out there in the tent and he mourned for her and he wept for her, wept. He grieved for a time. He made time for it. Then he rose up to bury her. I don't have a a huge point at this point, but I want to note that, that there's a time and place to weep and to mourn, that we ought not to grieve. As those who have no hope, there's still a place for grieving as a time to weep. It's good to have traditions and times to express that. Not that you have to force it artificially by hiring people to weep at the funeral but you can have a funeral and let it be a funeral and to behold the uh, the separation the the destruction of death and to honor the dead and to mourn even though with hope there's a grief at separation and the destructive force of death that is appropriate for those even with hope But then in verses three through four, we see Abraham gets up. Now, he does not remain there forever. He arose from mourning, and he turned to the matter of burying Sarah. He shows great respect and care for the body, and going through such an effort and expense. It was expensive, then, as it is now, to bury the dead. although we'll see to it that there's a little more to it than simply burying her, but he does bury her. He wants to purchase her a burial plot. All the patriarchs showed great care for the body. They doubtless knew uh, what we know from the beginning of Genesis, that God created man as a physical being. The body was not something uh, evil or uh, extra. The body was God's good creation. The soul survived after death, but this was not the way things were meant to be. The separation was called death. And death was a result of the fall. And this was a curse brought about by sin. But God had promised to bless them, to bless and not curse them, to bless Abraham and Sarah and all the nations through their offspring. The curse would be reversed. With this worldview, this way of thinking, and with God's promise before them, it was not too much of a leap to hope in the resurrection. We already saw that Abraham believed God could raise Isaac from the dead if his promise required it, so that through him his offspring would be counted. And so the resurrection of the dead too followed from the promises of God. It was not a new doctrine when the New Testament came around. The Jews already believed that there would be a, a final day on which the dead would be raised. What we learn more is about how it's connected with the resurrection of Jesus, and it's through Christ that we participate in the glory and immortality at the end. But that was foreshadowed even in the Old Testament. So today, you and I must respect the body in this life to consecrate it to the glory and service of God, to present your members as instruments of righteousness, knowing that it's a member of Christ and bought with a price, and after death to commit it to God with the hope of its resurrection unto life, immortality, and glory. When we grieve, we grieve as those with hope that the dead in Christ shall be raised at the last trumpet to be with him always in glory. The burial of the dead is a very good practice that communicates that hope and respect well. In his book, The City of God, the early church father, Augustine, Uh, talked about the burial of the dead in the context that during that destruction many Christians were left unburied and uh, when the barbarians did not bury them he writes that they didn't need a burial to participate in the resurrection God was sovereign he could raise them up no matter what happened to their bodies but he went on to defend the practice of burial as a good thing Uh, using the examples of the patriarchs, among other arguments. Let me read a a quote from him here. Nevertheless, the bodies of the dead are not on this account to be despised and left unburied. Least of all, the bodies of the righteous and faithful who have been used by the Holy Spirit. Sorry, which have been used? Those bodies have been used by the Holy Spirit as his organs and instruments for all good works. For if the dress of a father or his ring or anything he wore be precious to his children in proportion to the love they bore him, with how much more reason ought we to care for the bodies of those whom we love, which they wore for far more closely and intimately than any clothing? For the body is not an extraneous ornament or aid, but a part of man's very nature. And therefore the righteous of ancient times, uh, to them, the last offices were piously rendered. And sepulchres provided for them, and obsequies celebrated. And they themselves, while yet alive, gave commandment to their sons about burial, and on occasion even about the removal of their bodies to some favorite place. goes on to say, These instances certainly do not prove that corpses have any feelings, but they show that God's providence extends even to the bodies of the dead, and that such pious offices are pleasing to him as cherishing faith in the resurrection. So this is relevance for the way you treat the body now, right? Your body is important now and it's an instrument of righteousness, but also how we should not uh, despise it even when it's dead, remains united to Christ in hope of the resurrection. For our fourth point, though, let's look at what is perhaps the main theme in this passage, and that is hope in the promised inheritance, hope in purchasing land, uh, hope expressed by the purchase of this land, as verses 3 through 20 uh, describe. And verse 2 and verse 19 go out of their way. They don't have to say this, because we know this already, but they go out of their way to say that this was in the land of Canaan, that this city, uh, Kiriath Arba, was in the land of Canaan. And that's important because they had been promised the land of Canaan and they yet did not own any land in the land of Canaan. Abraham says, I am a, a sojourner. I am a, a resident alien. I'm someone who has no rights to own land. I'm living here in the land, but I'm not a, a citizen. I'm one who is simply living here. And so he goes to uh, the men of the city to get right to own land and to purchase that land and the site to them that he might own land to bury Sarah. Not only did Abraham bury Sarah, but he buried her in the promised land. As they had sojourned in that land by faith, so even in death they would rest in that land by faith. They would look to the land that God would show them, to their inheritance that God would give them. Their very tomb would be a lasting monument to their faith. As one commentator says, The point of the story is that Abraham went through these elaborate negotiations to purchase a possession in which to bury his dead. The purpose is significant, for burial was usually in one's native land. It seems clear enough that he was making this portion of the land the ancestral home. There would be no going back to Haran. They don't go back to Haran or to Ur to bury Sarah. They lay roots right there. They would cast in their lot. With God. They would believe that their offspring would live there, would possess the land as God had promised. Even if they were to wander in another land, say Egypt, they would remember of God's promises that that is where the bones of Abraham and Sarah rested. And as they looked to what that land symbolized, they would rest in their inher- eternal inheritance with God, in the kingdom of God. As Hebrews 11 says and comments on this point, saying of them, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So, Abraham took pains to get a clear and indisputable right to this land by purchase. He went to the gates of the city and sought to get a right to this property. First, they offered the use of their land without any purchase. They said, oh, you don't need to buy land, go through all that expense. You can just use any of our tombs and, and bury your dead there. That seemed generous. They respected him, but that's not what he was looking for. That was not permanent enough. So he asked them for Ephron's cave. Then Ephron offered to give him not just the cave, but the field as well as a gift. Here, take it. I don't know if that's part of the bargaining process, or if he meant that sincerely, but Abraham doesn't receive it as a gift. He insisted on buying it for the full price. And then Ephraim says, oh, I don't know, you know, what's what's 400 shekels worth between you and me? Kind of casually mentioning what price he did put on that land. And Abraham takes note of that and measures it all out. Uh, You know, normal person might have said, oh, 400? How about 300? You start bargaining for it, but he does not want to get a good deal. He wants to get a clear right that is going to be indisputable. They're not going to be able to take it back. It's not going to be a favor that they would do for him. Uh, He would pay the full price, and he measures it all out to purchase the land in view of all of the, the elders and the people of the city. It was publicly attested. Very similar to the the scene in the end of Ruth where they meet in the gates of the city. The gates made sense as a public forum and court and market because it was the bottleneck. Everyone went through the gates. They would go out in the field in the morning and come back in the evening and people come into the city to market. You all go through the gates and so it would be the public arena where matters like this would be settled. You have witnesses to say, yes, I saw that happen. You gave that land. That land was sold. It now belongs to Abraham. And so it was a clear purchase, no strings attached, not a gift alone. Abraham believed the Lord would give the land to his descendants. It would be an inheritance from God and not a gift from the Canaanites. He would not be indebted to them. He looked to God as his Lord, that he would be the Lord's vassal, that he would be uh, the one who looked to the land that God would show him. And so this land would be a, a beachhead an enduring sign that God would give them their land, that they were the Lord's people. Their home was the home God would give them. And like their father, they were to follow the Lord to the land He would show them. Now you, like Abraham and Sarah, are called to follow the Lord, to look for the land that He will show you. We are seeking also a homeland, a city that we have come to, and yet a city which is coming. The heavenly Jerusalem, the city which is to come. Like them, you are pilgrims to this promised land. Like them, you are to die in faith, having received a guarantee already, but looking for the glory which is to come. There is more to come historically for your descendants and more to come personally for you. Like them, you need to place your hope in God and in His unshakable kingdom in life and in death for him to be your dwelling place for he is the dwelling place of his people in all generations his kingdom is both present and coming you've already entered the kingdom by faith in him you've come to the heavenly jerusalem the city of god as hebrews says but greater glory awaits in heaven among the spirits of righteous people made perfect and then again in the new creation of the coming age. So your hope is not in earthly possessions, where moth and rust destroy, where things rise and fall, but in the eternal inheritance from God. So as the song says goods and kindreds, let them go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. His kingdom is yours forever through faith in Jesus Christ. So consider the example of these holy people of old, of Sarah, of Abraham, who through patience inherited the promises, seeing them, embracing them from afar. That we might live with faith and die in faith, looking to the inheritance that God promises and holds out before us, us, that he will dwell with us and give us an inheritance, a home with him forever. Let us pray. Our God, we thank you and praise you for the faithfulness and unshakable purpose that you have revealed to us through your word. We thank you for sustaining Abraham and Sarah and for presenting them to us as encouragements, as examples, as forefathers and as mother. We pray that you would help us also to endure trials for your glory and for our growth and grace. We pray that you would comfort us when death comes to those who are dear to us, that we would rest for, for them in Christ as well as for us, uh, the hope of resurrection, that we would seek to press others to come into this kingdom, even now, that they might share in this hope of the life to come. We pray that you would strengthen us in this pilgrimage, in this uh, journey, that we might endure to the end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.